Okay, we left off with uh, the last time we spoke about uh, we spoke about Nimrod, and then we uh, how his name literally means what it means, right? And and really, there's uh, there is attached to it this in, insanity and confusion, and uh, and with that name, which is which that man was functioning under Satan. There would be all kinds of confusion, but also there would be blasphemy. And one, one of the things that we see where God is going to deal with those that are on the earth and the way that he deals with them, because it does have to do, it does have to do with their sin. And first and foremost, it is, it is the unsubmitted will acting in blasphemy against God. And it's such an intense thing. And just going to go into that a little bit this morning. Again, we, we talked about how uh, just recently, you know, we talked about some of the things about how we could, how we could recognize America. And, and, some, and again, these, these are what, what I believe to be and others and multitudes of other men believe to be a symbolic of America. And, you know, whether they're True or not, and again, I just believe that they are. I would, I just believe that they are, you know, based upon some of the scriptures. The principle is so true. The principle of these things are very, very true, you know. So again, just for, just for a little, going back, we remember we said, and and uh, the the word brings out to us, we, we brought out how there is. There's Babylon, that word Babylon. And we, can, we see it in Genesis, the 11th chapter, Babylon. We know that word Babylon with it literally is confusion. So in 1 Corinthians 14, 33, for us, that we are no longer of the world, but we're of Christ, God is not the author of confusion, but of life and peace. So that means for us that are in Christ right now, on this earth. There is no confusion about who God has made us to be in our position in Christ. But confusion can be where the enemy will go after the experience. And if and this is true for us. When there's no teaching or there's bad teaching, he can really affect the experience of the believer as we are passing through this evil world system. And he can do that. He can also affect the experience of even those believers in Christ that are taught, but their will has not been submitted in obedience to what is taught. Then he can still, again, he can never touch us in our position in Christ. So, God is not the author of confusion. right? And confusion... Remember, for as God just brings us back to these truths, that confusion is trying to think two things are right. My thoughts, what I think are my thoughts, which really aren't. It's the enemy mastering the thought life, the mind of the believer, when the experience is not the equal of the position about who they are in Christ because their will hasn't been submitted. So these things are very, very important to us. Uh, and that's why it says, 
God is not the author of confusion. So if you and I are confused, it's going to be from one or two reasons. Number one, we don't have proper teaching. We haven't been taught. And two, we have been, but our will hasn't been submitted. Now, in both cases, is there any condemnation to them that are in Christ? In Romans 8, verse 1, no. God will never condemn us because he has positioned us in his Son, right in his sight. And that's how he sees us. He sees us as perfect, complete in his Son. So God's not the author of confusion, but of what? Life, Christ is our life, and peace, and he's our peace. Christ is our life in Colossians 3 and verse 4, and in Ephesians 2 and verse 14, he is our peace. Right? He's, he's our peace because he's made us one, and he's broken down that middle wall of petition between us. Whatever was between us and God, Christ himself has removed. There's no distance in our position. But certainly the enemy wants to create it with one of those two ways that we said in our experience. Through a no teaching or bad teaching or a, or a lack of submission to what we know to be true in James 4 and verse 17. To him that knows to do good and does it not, to him it is sin. We need to know those things because God is what? He's not the author of those, but of life and peace. And Christ is, is our fire leader, meaning author there is brought out in Hebrews 12 and verse 2. We look away from all that would distract us unto Jesus. Who is he? He's our fire leader. He is our leader. He's the one that leads us. And every single moment of the day, he is always waiting to be gracious in Isaiah 30, verse 18, and always using the word that is his very nature and his character and essence to lead us through this world system. And he has to lead us out of bad thinking, <laughs> which will produce bad emotions, and bring us into his full thought, and his full thought is Christ. So back, back here we are, and back to, to, to prophecy, we see that there's the possibility that America is mentioned, our country, just so we know where we are right now, and we're going to get into the details of this, of, these, of this prophetic truth. It's going to take some time, because literally two-thirds of this Bible is prophetic. <laughs> two-thirds of it. But of course, thank God again, in 2 Peter 1 and verse 19, we have those that are in Christ, a more sure word of prophecy. Because prophecy deals with the earth, our position is we are, in, in, in the epistle to Ephesians, we are a heavenly people. And as far as the heavens, in Isaiah 55 and verses 8 through 11, especially 8 and 9, as far as the heavens are above the earth, so far are God's thoughts above us. Think about that. Being placed in his son, in, his, in our position in Christ. And what we have, what, what, he's given us so much to be thankful for. I mean, even what he's given us is the cause of our thankfulness. It is amazing. That's why in Ephesians 5, uh, 20, we can thank him for all things. And in 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 18, we can, thank, we can be thankful in all things. Because all things in 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 15 are for our sakes. Why? Because we're in Christ. All things are of God. 
in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 18. And all things work together for the good, in Romans 8, verse 28, to them that love God. And when it says there in Romans 8 and verse 28, to them that love God, God loves us, but do we experience it without our will being submitted? And that's what that's bringing out. We will see that these things, no matter what they are, they, can, they are not against us. We can see that in Romans 8, 31 to 39. They can't be against us because God is for us. <laughs> oh boy. And we're with him. And he that is with, with us, and Jesus said that in Matthew 12, 30, he that is not with me will submit it for Christians that know is against me. Don't you think about, oh God, against me. We'll bring that out in Matthew 12 and verse 30. And we're going to bring it out how God is using prophecy to teach us and us to be so thankful what we are not only saved from, but we're going to see what we're saved from and what Jesus did on Calvary. But what we're saved to, the emphasis a lot of times for the enemy, and it's true though, in an in a pro, in a improper balance, we've not, only be saved, we, we've not only been saved from so much we can't eat, we, only Christ and the Father know the depth of it. And his love will reveal that, of course, without condemnation for all eternity in, in Ephesians 3 and verse 19, to know the love of Christ that passeth knowledge. But the fact of the matter is, what we've been delivered to, <laughs> we're gonna ha- we have that already. We have the increase of what we've been, we've been delivered to because we've been delivered from. And this has to do, again, with propitiation, substitution, and reconciliation. So America, the, the, pot, the, the probability that America is in, you know, brought out, and, and it seems to me to be so, in Isaiah 18, 1 and 2. Uh, again, the scriptures for that, again, it's Jeremiah, the 50th chapter. We can see that in verse 11. She faces backsliding because of she backslid. I mean, what nation has God blessed so incredibly like our nation, America, and how we've backslid, backslidden. And, uh, and again, it talks about the mother in, in England. That's why we, we live in New England. They call it New England because they left England, right, on the Mayflower. And so mother in that sense is brought out, some believe. And it was a nation of mingled people, all kinds of people in this country. And that's brought out in, Gen, uh, in Jeremiah 50 and verse 37. And then we can see also <clears throat> in Jeremiah, the, the, the 51st uh, chapter in the 13th verse, how America is bordered by the two largest oceans and also possesses the longest river on the earth. It's Mississippi. It's the longest river. So in, with all of those, we see, we can see in prophecy how this is dealing with America. And her wealth, the wealth in, in, in Jeremiah 51 and verse 7, is what would plague the nations to jealousy against her. Because this freedom that God has given us in this country, and, and he's given us freedom to submit our will to worship him so that he would be glorified and we would be blessed. But what do we do with what he gives us? 
And that, again, has to do with the will, either being submitted in obedience or not submitted through rebellion and stubbornness in 1 Samuel 15 and verse 23. And we also see that, again, that was the, the jealous of, the, of America in, in Jeremiah 51 and verse 7, also even brought out the exploits of America in terms of their space travel. We can see that even when you study it out in Jeremiah 51 and verse 53. To understand Babylon in, in those systems, we have to understand this. One of them is a city, and that's Genesis the 11th chapter. We see that clearly in the scriptures. Another is the false church, which is not a church, in, in Revelation the 17th chapter. And then we see very clearly that it's also a country in Revelations, the 18th chapter. And so John goes on to describe that particular country that is brought out in Revelations, the 18th chapter with those preceding scriptures that God just gave us. And thank God we are in the world but not of it. See, that's what God's constantly separating us from. See, because if our will is not submitted to him, to Christ, who leads us through this world system, in some measure we'll settle down. And then the will, when it's not submitted to Christ, the will begins to be submitted to those lust patterns that we inherited from the enemy called the old sin nature. Those lust patterns in Genesis 3 and verse 6 and 1 John 2 and verse 16, that's why it says, love not the world. Neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world in any measure, the love of the Father is not operating, it's not an operating, leading principle in his experience. We may, we may have these truths positionally, but we don't experience them. Now, we're going to get into all of this. We're going to get into the nation's when we get into the book of Daniel, and we're going to see them brought out. So, uh, Revelations is brought out in the book of Daniel, and, and the book of Daniel is brought out in the book of Revelations. They're two pieces that make a whole to understand them. You can't understand one without the other. And, and, uh, and, and of course, we can't understand or know anything unless our will has been submitted. Because the word of God and understanding it has nothing to do with natural intellect. It doesn't have a single thing to do with it. It's all by the pure grace of God. That's why whosoever will can come. You just have to have a will that's willing to be taught. And this is very, very important. So that's why these mornings, these mornings are extremely important for precise teaching. They're very, very important. Now, we'll get into that. We'll get into the nations like the book of Daniel does and describes them. They're, they're the separate nations that will be in cahoots with Russia, which it's brought out, Russia's brought out crystal clear, we've said before in, in Ezekiel's chapters 38 and 39. And God will deal with all of that. The final dealing will be brought out in Revelations the 19th chapter. And then finality of it in the, uh, of the enemy and, and those that still go after Satan even when Christ is ruling and reigning for a thousand years and at the end of it, they still, he's loosed, Satan, 
from, from the bottomless pit. He's loose, and a still man runs to his banner. Still. And there's going to be a reason why we're going to see it. Because it has to do with the will. It has to do with the will being unsubmitted through pride and stubbornness. Now that's why in us, in Romans 8 verse 9, the flesh is in us. That stubbornness and that rebellious flesh is in us, but we're not of it. And God uses that to constantly keep us, to keep us humbled, to see that no matter how far we go in rebellion and stubbornness, we can never meet a single thing about ourselves. Because we were created in the image of God and it takes that particular image active in us and that, happened through, that happens through Christ in this new image, this new nature that, that God has given us, each of us individually in Christ. So we will get into the seven plagues and we'll get into the 21 bold judgments. And keep in mind now, keep in mind because there's a lot of bad faults and being false, it is evil teaching that will teach that Christ did not do enough. He didn't finish the work enough, even for his own. They have to go through the tribulation period. I'm going to make this, God wants to make this for all of us crystal clear in the scriptures. Revelation 6 through 18 has nothing to do with you and I. That's judgments that happen on the earth. Okay, that's what it has to do with. Not us. We are raptured and we are off the earth. And the rapture wasn't just taught by a group, an exclusive group in the 1800s. Centuries before that, it was taught. We'll bring that out in the future. But I just thought this was very interesting this morning. And I want to just focus on this. Because even when, when it talks about the seven plagues, and you will see these seven plagues, and, and look what they are, the seven plagues. By the time you get to the 15th chapter of Revelations and the 16th chapter, there's going to be seven plagues. It's a fulfillment. Seven, is, in this sense, is completion. So, like, for instance, if you divide the number, not to get in too much to numbers, although they're all through the Scriptures and they're very explicit in terms of what they describe. But when you have the number seven, there, there is the number four. Four is the earth's number, and the Trinity is three, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and they're dealing with the earth, sevenfold. And the sevenfold for them is, is still, it's still, they could still, with their will, with all of these plagues that come, you'll see the seven angels, complete, carrying out the will of God in terms of judgment on the earth, remember, what, what are we doing while this is going on? What's going on here? We are, we are in our honeymoon state with Christ. We're with him above. We're with him above. And that's brought out in Revelations 19, 7 through, uh, through 9. We are on our honeymoon because we're in the betrothal state and we, we are, we're going to be married to Christ. We already are in principle. It's going to be an actual thing that's going to happen. And that's even brought out uh, in, in Matthew, the 25th chapter. Because there's, there's the five foolish, 
virgins and the five that weren't, they had oil in their lamps. So that was a result of them receiving Christ. That's brought out in Second time, in, in 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 3. Anyone that receives uh, God, uh, Christ as their Savior would in no wise blaspheme and, and, and against the Holy Spirit. They, they, they wouldn't do that. And that's why we know Paul instantly in Acts the ninth chapter in verses 6 and 7, that he, 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 5, 6, and 7, he would instantly receive Christ as his Savior at that point. So, again, when we look at this, look at these, these uh, the, the seven angels, and they're carrying out the seven vials, here is Revelation 16. We'll just get into this, and then we'll see what God has for us in this. Re- remember, this is not has nothing to do with us, okay? And not one single thing to do with us. We are in heaven. But we can know how close this is to happen. So in Revelation, the 16th chapter, in verse 1, it says, And I heard a great voice out of the temple saying, to the seven angels, go your ways and pour out the vials of the wrath of God upon the earth. See? The earth. This is, this is uh, Jacob's trouble in Genesis 30 and verse 7. Uh, and bringing this out clearly. And the first, in verse 2, went and poured out his vial upon the earth. And there fell a noisome and grievous sore upon the men which had the mark of the beast, okay? They submitted, okay? It's going to either be in their right hand or in their forehead. That's already been taken place in some of these credit cards and things that we have. That number we, is brought out in Revelations 13, 13 to 15. It's called 666. It's man's number. It's Satan. You know, he wants his man created in his image, and man was created, we know, in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7 on the sixth day. And Satan wants his man, and he will have him called the Antichrist, and that will be brought out in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 4 to 7. He will be the embodiment of Satan in skin, in human skin. It will be brought out. But here we see that they had this mark. And look what it says. They had the mark of the beast and upon them which worshipped his image. You would not believe, and oh God, the image that the enemy projects. He will use anything that he can for the unsaved and for the believer in their experience, by the way. He will use any, any kind of image, anything that does not have to do with Christ is that is an idol or an image that's in competition with him. You know, the self-made man will always be in competition with the man in Christ. And that's what Romans 8 verse 9 is bringing out for the believer that is in Christ. We have the flesh in us, but it'll always be competing against the man about who we truly are in Christ. It's where all your temptation comes from. Remember in James 1.12, it's not, temptation's not evil. Giving into it, we will experience it, thank God. But again, God will lovingly deal with us in loving chastisement, loving teaching, grace for us, and when we refuse it, he'll lovingly chastise us. Has been brought out in the way that God has brought it out to us through the teaching of the scriptures uh, through, uh, through many, many years 
and bringing out his love, his unconditional love, his grace, and his just, his just amazing mercy and grace. And so we see here again the image, all these false images. God, anything you can think of, he will use. As it's some kind of an image that it leads us away from Christ. He leads us away. Just like he does for the unsafe. Think of the things they go after and the false images. Again, those false images are brought out in, Revelation, uh, in Romans chapter 1, verses 18 to 32. You will see it. And the enemy will use anything. He will use even the creation of God as a false image to lead us away. To think that that's going to fulfill us. Which it never could. Image. They worshipped his image. Revelation 16, verse 3. The second angel poured out his vial upon the sea, and it became as the blood of a dead man. It's very interesting here. And every living soul died in the sea. The third angel poured out his vial upon the rivers and fountains of waters, and they became blood. And I heard the angel of the waters say, You are righteous, O Lord, in terms of his wrath, his judgment, which is wrath. It's not evil punishment. It's wrath. It's love and justice in action. Because God, without justice, I mean, without God's love, there can only be justice, and God must judge. He, he must, where his love is absent. Now, again, never, that's not our true experience, is it? Being in Christ. There is no judgment for us. Because Christ bore that on Calvary in John 3 and verse 36. He went down, buried it in John 5 and verse 24 and separated us from it in his resurrection in Romans 8 verse 11 also. The third angel poured it out. He said, you're righteous, O Lord, which are and was and will be because you have judged this way. For they shed the blood of saints and prophets. Just think about it. From, from Cain all the way through, all those wars, we, uh, the scriptures were brought out to us by God the Holy Spirit in, in James the fourth chapter in those first four verses. Where come these wars? From the lusts that are in our members. The only experience the Christian can have without the will being submitted, either not without that will being submitted through right teaching, is what? What do we experience? If our will, we don't experience love, what is our only experience? It's lusts. That's it. And so that's where those, and this war goes on, and we battle these things, and that's our battle. Well, they shed the blood of saints and prophets, and they did all through. You study church history, start at Cain and go all the way through, right, to, to Lamech. All the way through the scriptures. The blood of the saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink, for they are worthy. And that's, of course, them, when it says here, those that were slain, when it says they're partaking of the blood, that goes into the communion, which is brought out with the, with the cup, which is representative of the blood of Jesus Christ, and, and the bread, which is his body, which was broken for us. And that's what this is talking about. 
they're going to experience the life of Christ. The enemy, through hatred of them, has killed them. Instantly, they're in the presence of God and experiencing that. And so that's our proper, our proper image is brought out. And, and again, that's why it says in 1 John 1, 7, walk in the light as he is in the light. And you have fellowship one with another and you experience the continual cleansing of the blood of Christ. You see, that's something that's continual based upon the finished work. And so we see that that's teaching true character, true image. 1 John 1, 7 is true character, true image. It has to do with light. The light that Christ is when he came out and put on humanity in John 1 and verse 14 and is brought out in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 9 to 18. And thank God we have him as our great high priest, high above everything in Hebrews chapter 4. And we can start at verse 14 and go to 16 to see that beautiful reality. He said, for they are worthy. Why are they worthy? Because they're in Christ where all their worth is. He has made us worthy. All our worth is in Christ. And he's the same yesterday, today, and forever in Hebrews 13, 8. What an image, what a reality, what a life he's given us. And so, in verse 7, I heard another, in, in, in Revelation 16, I heard another out of the altar say, Even so, Lord Almighty, true and righteous are your judgments. Oh, yes. And the fourth angel poured out his vial upon the sun, and power was given unto him to scorch men with fire. Now, look at what happened. And men were scorched, they were burnt with this great heat. And it was still love mingled with wrath, hoping they would turn to Christ. But what did they do? Was the, even then would their will be submitted. Look what it says. And blasphemed the name of God. Meaning they knew they needed a Savior, and that Savior was Christ, but they still rejected him. You know, what makes us think what makes us think that, that those that are in hell, that go there, that that was God's will? Their will was unchangeable. Our will doesn't change until we meet the will of God. And that to meet the will of God is Jesus Christ. In John 4, verse 34, He came to fulfill the will of God and prophecy brought out in Psalm 40, 7 and 8. He did it in Hebrews chapter 10. He put on a body in Hebrews 10, 5 to 14. He did all that, especially 7 and 9 of Hebrews 10. He did all of that. He did it. And still they refuse it. What makes anyone think? Why would God send anyone to hell? Do you think that even... At, at what point would they not? The will is powerless apart from Christ. It's unchangeable. That's why for the believer to go back, the only place we can do when we don't go forward is go back to that that doesn't change the flesh, those lust patterns. They don't change. They blasphemed the name, the very nature and character of God revealed through Christ, which has power over these plagues. You see, our will is powerless without the power of Christ himself. Christ. In 1 Corinthians 1, verse 24, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. And with power comes 
With great power comes great wisdom. And that's what keeps us in First Peter 1 verse 5, keeps us as in First Peter 2.11 as strangers going through this world system, not settling down, going forward constantly with a submitted will. And of course, when we do fail, by way of promise, all the promises in Christ in 2 Corinthians 1.20 or yea and amen, he leaves a way open for us to come back and we confess homologeo, we cite and name and agree with him in 1 John 1.9, the reality of who he is, what he's done about what we failed in, and those failures aren't a part of our image. Because in Romans 7, 17 and 20, it is no longer I that do it, but that sin, that fleshly sin that came in between my reality, my proper image, and my proper image is Christ in me, in each of us, in our own vessel. And it's a beautiful truth brought out in 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 7. And the fifth angel, and, and it says, which had power over these plagues. And they entered, they what? They repented not. They refused. They're burning up. They're suffering greatly and still won't submit. You can't continue in certain lifestyles. You cannot continue. And I'm not saying that any of us didn't at some point, and no matter what. But you cannot continue in those lifestyles and be born again. There's no question about that. And I'm not saying that believers that once were believers can't fall into those any kind of sin. They can. But if they're truly born again, they're coming out. And obviously then, even then, if they don't, then God in his love and mercy will take them home years ahead of time. And that is even his love and mercy and his unconditional love. Wow. They repented not to give him glory. No, they wanted all the glory for themselves. Boy, that's the flesh in us. Oh, God. That we're not of... (laughs) We're not of the flesh, Romans 8, 9. We're not of the world, John 17 and verse 16. Jesus wasn't of the world. Not a thing about him was of the world. And neither are we in him. John 17, 14 and 16. The fifth angel poured out his vial upon the seat of the beast where he's ruling and reigning, and his kingdom was full of darkness. Do you remember what Jesus said in Matthew 6, verse 21, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also? What you treasure the most? There will your heart be also? If your eye be single, in Matthew 6, verse 22, your whole body will be filled with light. But if your eye be evil, your whole body will be filled with darkness. And if the light that be in you, in Matthew 6, verse 23, be darkness, how great is that darkness? Now, we truly, who we are in a proper image and our position in Christ is light. But can we function in darkness of the flesh? And we can, but it's not who we are and it's not a true image. (laughs) We've been made through the image of Christ in each of us in our own image in him. That again is brought out in Revelation 2 and verse 17. Yeah. And his kingdom was full of darkness, and they gnawed their tongues for pain. What does it take? 
Is there any changing the old man? You know, God knew, and God knew, of course, way before. He couldn't change man. That's why he had to send Christ, the place where he could crucify him and make a new man in him. There's no changing it. There is no changing it at all. There isn't. There's only going forward in Christ. And so, they nod with their tongues for pain. Now, we, we may have pain, okay? But that pain, any of us, and whether it's mental, emotional, physical, and we will experience those at times, sometimes for, for failure and sin, yes, but other times for His glory. But there is going to come a time for us where there be no more pain in Revelations 21 and verse 4. But for those that haven't received Christ, that are in hell, ultimately to be cast into the lake of fire, there will be unending eternal pain. There's no question about that. And even in their, their pain here, in Revelation 16 and verse 10, they blaspheme the God of heaven. <laughs> they blaspheme the God of of heaven because of their pains and their sores and repented not of their deeds. There's certain lifestyles is brought out in, in uh, Romans 1, 18 to 32. You will see in there, and gossip is, on, is, is literally on an equal plane with lesbianism and homosexuality. We tend to categorize sins. God doesn't. You can see it there. But you can see in those lifestyles, and we see it rampant in our country in America right now, where it's being taught in schools. Literally, this evil. So that young children can be brought up to enter into Satan's thought about God to blaspheme him. To blaspheme him. We're going to see those words shortly this morning. and repenteth not of their deeds. You will see in that, in, in Romans uh, chapter 1, verses 18 to 32, in those particular lifestyles, and they mention lesbianism first, and then homosexuality is brought out crystal clear in the scriptures, by the way. Okay? Brought out. That they not only have in 132 of pleasure in those things that they do, but they also have pleasure in those that do them. Boy, I'll tell you, for any of us, and whatever sin it is, gossip, misery loves company. Gossip, I get involved with gossip, you know, and, you know, I get involved in slander and maligning people, and even in a thought life. Because remember, in Proverbs 24, verse 9, the thought of foolishness is sin, meaning in a fool is one who operates outside of a proper object or a proper image, a believer. Brought out in Proverbs 18, 1 and 2. The sixth angel poured out his vial upon the great river Euphrates, and the water dried up, was dried up, that, that the way of the kings of the east might be prepared. This is bringing out China and, and where they will come as part of that complete rebellion to, to go into cahoots with Russia and China. <laughs> Russia and China operating, we see it already in, in principle. It's been happening that way for a while. It's really coming out. We can see it on our news channels. 
No question about that. And, uh, <clears throat> but ultimately, to join those 10, uh, the old Roman Empire, those 10 nations of the West, with China and 21 Arab nations coming against Jerusalem, that's when we come back. And, and God and Christ himself ends that battle in Revelations, uh, the 19th chapter. Poured it out on the river Euphrates so that the water was dried up and the way of the kings, they could travel down to go and surround Israel. And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs, in appearance, obviously, come out of the mouth of the dragon. The dragon, obviously, is Satan. That's brought out in Revelations 12 and verse 4. And out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. For they are the spirits of demons. See, we brought it out clearly. The Bible brings it out to us. Teaches us that they are the spirits of demons. That's why we teach, the Bible teaches in 1 John 4, one that fear is a spirit. For, in 2 Timothy 1.7, God's not given us a spirit of fear. We need to try the spirits. Is there any fear in Christ? John 4, 1 and 2. And it's the, So when we experience fear as believers in Christ, that somehow we weren't taught or we denied a truth that we knew to be true. Still, doesn't change his mind about his love for us. But it certainly affects our experience. Verse 14. Again, they're the spirits of demons working miracles, and go forth unto the kings of the earth, all those rulers that are men in power, of the, whole, of the whole world, to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. Again, that's brought out in Revelations, the 19th chapter. It's what it's leading to. Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watches and keeps his garments. Again, this is not referring to us. Okay, we're in heaven, ready to come back with him. In Revelations 1, 7 and Revelations 19, 11 to 16, he keeps his garments lest he walk naked and they see his shame. Remember, it was uh, Adam and Eve when they fell, Adam and Eve be became naked in their own eyes even when they covered themselves. That's brought out in Genesis chapter 3, verses 7, 11, and 12. They were naked and, and that because there was nakedness, what was brought out, there was shame. Think of the shame that the enemy wants to put upon those that are Christ because they don't know how covered they are in Christ. And, and that's why he wants Christians to function in the flesh so that they become naked and they, there's shame when there is no shame in who we are in, in Christ. There's no shame that he has for us in Hebrews 2.11. Not ashamed to call us brother in Hebrews 2.11. None whatsoever, <clears throat> and God forbid there should be any shame in, in our experience through the flesh in 2 Timothy 1.12, as long as we hold fast the form of right teaching and a proper image about who we are in Christ in 2 Timothy 1 and verse 13. So as we begin to wrap this up this morning, that they, there's nakedness and shame, but there's none with us in Christ. None whatsoever. No None for us. And that's why even at this church age, this church age that we are in, we are in the Laodicean age. We are so close. We are so close for the rapture. We're close. Because the church age that's going to bring it out, those that are born again, 
those that are in Christ. The church age is this. In Revelations 3 and verse 14, and unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans, the angel here, right, these things says the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God, who we are in Christ. Christ himself is the beginning. Write these things. Write them. I know your works. This is speaking to believers. I know your works, that you're neither cold nor hot. I would that you were either cold or hot. So because you're lukewarm, one foot in the world and one in me, no proper balance, right? And a false balance in Proverbs 111 is an abomination unto the Lord. He's not a abominating who we are in Christ, but... The flesh is another whole subject. So then because you're not, so because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I'll spew you out of my mouth. This never speaks of salvation. It speaks of fellowship. Because God cannot fellowship with sin. And back at 1 verse 13, his eyes are so pure he can't even look upon it. He always looks upon who we are. He never removes his eye from who we are in Christ. The righteous in Job 36 in verse 7, he says, I will spew you out of my mouth. Why? Well, because why? Because you say I am rich. Here's the wealth in America. Here it is again. Jeremiah 50. Jeremiah 51. Here's your wealth. You say I am rich. Christians, I'm rich. And increase with goods. And I don't have need of anything. I have need of nothing. And know not that you are wretched experientially, and you're poor, you're wretched, you're miserable, you're poor, you're blind, and you're what? Naked experientially. Positionally, no. Naked. Shame. Naked experientially. Oh, the enemy wants that in us. Accusing. If you can't deceive in Revelations 12, 9, he seeks to accuse when we fail in Revelations 12, verse 10. And is that the enemy? Or God. It's not God. It's the enemy who hates us because Christ is in us and we're in him with a beautiful image that he can't stand. He does everything he can to put out the light in the experience that's the equal of the position. Christ in our own individuality in a beautiful image. Well, you're naked. I counsel you to buy freely Isaiah 55, 1 and 2, buy of Christ freely so that you don't spend your money on the flesh. And 55, verse 2, why do you waste your money doing that when the flesh will never be satisfied, the lust of it? That you may be rich, I counsel you, to buy of me gold tried in fire. Those are our trials, those things we want to pray our way out of. Job said in Job 23, verse 10, I know that in this trial, when I come forth, I'll come forth as gold. That the trial of our faith is much more precious than gold that perishes in 1 Peter 1 and verse 7. To buy of me gold tried in the fire, that you may be rich, true riches. True riches in Colossians 2 and verse 3, the true riches are who Christ is in you and who you truly are in him. True riches and white raiment, yeah, this new body, this new, who you are in Christ, this white raiment, really, our positional truth, this white raiment, which is beautiful, 
<clears throat> that you may be clothed. This is bringing out Ephesians 4, 20 to 24. Putting off the flesh and putting on Christ experientially and through, again, confessing in 1 John 1, 9 and getting right back into a proper image and a proper relationship with an intimate fellowship with Christ. And so that the shame of your nakedness does not appear to you. It doesn't, it's, not your, it's not your image, your proper image. And anoint your eyes with eye salves, the Holy Spirit, taking the things of Christ and showing them unto us in a proper image in John 16, 13, and 14, that you may actually see properly. You may see Christ in you as your image and you in Christ and how God sees you. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock of the, of the will. If any man hear my voice and submit, and you'll hear me, then and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him. That speaks of intimate fellowship with individuals and as we come together as a local assembly. And he with me. To him that overcomes will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am sat down with my father in his throne. He that has in here, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And we want to finish with this. Did you and I see, did we see there in Revelation the 16th chapter, how they continually blaspheme God. And I, me, I don't want to function in the flesh. I do not want to blaspheme God in my experience because that's what we'll do. That's what we will do. And again, God loves us. His love doesn't change. And he sees us in Christ. And even when we do, Huh. Look what this word blaspheme is, and I want to finish with this. The word blaspheme is from the Greek blasphemio, blasphemio. The first syllable of this word is the same as our English word. Listen to this. Blame. Blame God for everything. <laughs> what did the enemy, through his subtlety, with Adam and Eve, he got them to what? to not be accountable and responsible to God for their own decisions in the lack of their unsubmitted will, but to blame God for everything. Blame everything. Everything. That's what it is in our flesh. We'll blame the circumstance, the situation, the person. Doesn't matter. We'll, but ultimately, blaming God. Blame God. It's from the Greek word, blasphemy. From that Greek word, and it denotes injury. Blaming God for the injury, like they were doing in Revelations, the 16th chapter. Blaming God. That's what we do in the flesh, because we can't be wrong. And that's not who we are. It's not. The love of God has given us His own Son in our own image, it's already given to us. Thank God for that. It denotes injury, means to hurt, to strike. And people not being accountable and responsible to God with an unsubmitted will want to strike out and hurt God and blame him. <laughs> Turn the tables. Matthew 15, 16 to 20. Not that that goes into a man, defiles a man. That that comes out, that defiles a man. Mark chapter 7, 13 uh, to 23. Again. So, means to strike. And it literally means, right, blasphemable is blamable. Blame God for everything. I don't like this. I don't like that. I don't like this. I don't like that. What are you doing? What would we be doing? 
not occupied with Christ, what are you going to be occupied with? Blaspheming God. God forbid. Me. Oh, God. The last syllable. So we gave you the first syllable, blasphemy. It denotes injury. And then with that injury, to strike out and to hurt. Right? To blame everybody else. But really blaming God ultimately. The last syllable is the Greek word phemi. P-H-E-M-I. First one is B-L-A-S-M-E. Blasphemy. Right? To strike out and hurt. And then this one is to speak. To speak it against God. Right? In Daniel 7.25 he speaks great words against the Most High. To wear out the saints. He wants to wear out those of us that are in Christ. Instead of being occupied with him and submitted to him and experiencing this exchange of an intimate fellowship and this love exchange, he wants us to live in the flesh to blaspheme God. I don't like this. I don't like that. I don't like this. I don't like that. This person, that person, this thing. They did this. They did that. Oh, God, help us. Please, Lord. And he will humble us. That will be the help so he can give us grace. And so, really, it's to speak. To speak of the supreme God, the supreme being, in terms of impious irreverence. To revile. What does it mean to revile God? To speak reproachfully of God. You know, I read that this morning when I saw that word reproach as I was looking it up in the languages. Jesus took in Psalm 69.9 and in Psalm 69.20, he took, he not only paid for all of our sins, but he took all of our blame, our reproaching God for it. How complete is our salvation? How complete is the love of God for us through grace? To not only deal with our sins, but to deal with all the blaspheming of God towards them. And that's why he loves us in Christ because he doesn't see us after the flesh, but he certainly in his love for us will deal with it. To speak reproachfully. And that's why even, even it says to speak reproachfully of God and of the Holy Spirit. That's why it says for believers now in Ephesians 4.29, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. Because if it's corrupt, it's blaspheming God. Let no corrupt communication, words, listen, they have meaning, guys and, and women. They, they have meaning. Let me make it clear. They're not just little words that seem to be harmless. No, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers and stop grieving the Holy Spirit. God. And if you grieve the Holy Spirit, is the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit one? Yes. So we'll close. It means to arrogate the prerogatives of God, meaning we switch places. We're everything, God, you must submit. You know how much teaching that comes out in this day and age that we live in? Even in so-called Christianity, which is nothing more than Christendom. Humanism. Deify humanity, humanize God. <laughs> Make him to serve you 
and serve you and to serve you in your lusts and thereby confess that God is great. <laughs> oh, Lord, help us. Help all of us. In the Middle Ages, during those Middle Ages and those Middle Centuries there, back then, they used that word, the blaspheme. It spoke of blame and condemnation. To blame God and condemn Him. <laughs> Jeez. We've been talking about the insanity of the enemy, the insanity of the flesh. It means to derogate, to do away with, the prerogatives of God, His sovereignty. He's God. Does God have a right to be who He is? God, oh Lord, help us. To blaspheme, to speak evil of God and to attribute evil to God. To calumniate, look up that word in the 1828, to calumniate. And even this word here in the Greek, blasphemen, it means in that, to, to calumniate, this is what that word means in the Greek. Blasphemen is from the word, the, the first syllable, blasphemous, uh, blasphemous, it means to injure, and fame to speak, to blame. To speak injurious words, thoughts, that, where did they come from? Thoughts against God. And God forbid, and, and boy, he does, because the cross has crucified all of that, hasn't it? In Galatians 6, verse 4, it separated me from the world. Listen, you function, you and I, <laughs> You and I, when we forget God, we function automatically in the world. And it's all based on blaspheming God and making self as comfortable outside of his presence, as comfortable as we can get without him. God forbid. And he, and, but he's not going to allow it. You know why? Because he loves us. He loves us deeply. Thank you for your love this morning, Father. And thank you that, that this is not for us. The tribulation period is not for us. It's for the unsaved, and it's to deal with the nation of Israel and all her enemies. Father, thank you and praise you this morning in Jesus' name. Amen.